And we need his power for understanding and for conviction. And this is one of those practical messages that brings conviction to all. Every message should, because every message is applicable to us. But this, you know, some get into the very practicalities of life uh, that we need constant reminders on. And that really, isn't it uh, ironic that the relationships so often that are most important to us and the people that we're closest to are the ones that we tend to take for granted and that if we're not careful um, can become the most familiar so that we're not showing them the care and the love that Christ has showed us but we need to appreciate Paul's emphasis throughout this book as we continue to get into the practicalities Remember, we've been talking about our need to not wear the dirty, tattered, nasty um, remnants of the clothing of the world, of the world's kingdom. But we need to put on the clothing of God's chosen children, the elect, his people, uh, those that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There should be evidence in our lives that we have truly done that. That we are a child of God. And there should be evidence in our relations with our families, with our spouses, with our children. And um, in application to this passage on bond servants, even giving consideration as we work, our employers and those around us, do they know that Christ is most important to us? that he is preeminent in our lives. Do those folks that are around us most of the time truly understand that? For folks, we are to do everything that we do for the Lord. We saw that last week. Whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And we're going to be reminded of that again today, that we need to do it all. And the relationships that are closest to us for the Lord. Paul has emphasized the superiority of Jesus Christ over his creation, and I hope you have understood that. That's one of the, that is the main emphasis of Colossians. I hope you haven't missed that. And now he applies this practical wisdom of the truth to really the basic societal unit, right? The family. And Jesus expects our submission to himself in the God-given responsibilities he describes for each household member. And we must all be ready to submit all to our sovereign Savior. Colossians 3, and we'll finish with chapter 4, verse 1, should be a part of that. The, the, the chapters and the numbering are not inspired, folks. Let's just, and this is one of those times where it's more clear than others. The passage goes from chapter 3, verse 18, to chapter 4, verse 1 but all are together in the unit. Wives, submit your, to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives, and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, 
fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father, what a wonderful observation, wonderful in the fact that, that we need to keep it in mind constantly, that Jesus is supreme, and we are not. So often we go throughout our weeks living our lives as if we are the most important fo focus, and we know that's easy to do because of our brokenness and the sin remnant still within us. But let this be a reminder to us that we can change and be in um, sync with your values and your expectations because of the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. And Father, I pray that even now, if there are those who are listening, maybe even streaming, that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, through faith and trust in him, that today would be the day that they would um, leave all their own self-worship behind and trust in him and recognize him as Savior and Lord and be willing to submit to him and that they could call out in faith and trust and become a child of God. That's the starting point for all of this. For those of us that have done that, Father, maybe we be reminded again of these relationships that are wonderful blessings you have given to us to show the love of Christ and our obedience to you in the midst of all of them. And we need your help to do that, your power. And so we ask for that. The submission to the Spirit, the power of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In this aspect in our families, we need to remember that we do it all not for ourselves and our own comforts and for our own concerns and our own expectations, but all that we do needs to be done for our Lord Jesus Christ. Even as Rick read, Jesus submitted himself, and it's interesting, it says that he was a bondservant, as a bondservant to his father. That's um, important as we get into this aspect of bondservants. They're going to find that it applies to us more than we think in that regard. But Jesus humbled himself, and so we humble ourselves and are submissive to him in the roles that he has given to us. We have specific roles, um, each of us, that God has given us within the family unit. And we need to understand what those are and submit to the Savior and what he calls us to do. Well, first of all, we need to live for the Lord in daily family life. And spouses must submit to the expectations of Jesus Christ that are plainly stated here by Paul. But let's get an understanding here of the culture at the time that Paul was writing. See, in ancient Greek culture, we become more and more aware that there were expectations for how families would conform and operate. And as the highly advanced culture that the Greeks and the Romans had brought into the world at this point, um, there were expectations 
for how things to go smoothly in the different units within the Roman Empire, how to best make those go smoothly. So there was these expectations. We call them, some scholars today call them the Hellenistic household code that they were supposed to respond to. Well, in the midst of those expectations here, Paul gives his own Holy Spirit-inspired household code or, or set of expectations that actually, probably not surprisingly, vary dramatically from the cultural expectations. And who does Paul address first? Well, the most foundational relationship in the home, the marriage relationship. This is where the rest of this, of, of the the unity and the harmony of the home, it comes back to the parents and God's working in them and they have to be unified together. And this is how they do so in expectations that God has given. And he begins with the role of the wife. And as you read through this, you understand there is this has become very controversial in our culture in our time. Some pastors even get a little anxious about presenting this. Well, I'm not anxious. <laughs> we need these things. But I will tell you that we need to have the correct understanding because so often our culture, miss, in our culture, even in the past hundred years and, and throughout our country, has misunderstood the applications of what all of this means. And Yet, it, with the uh, balking that we have about the submissive role of the wife in our culture today, don't misunderstand, in ancient culture, as those that Paul is writing to, this was an expectation of the entire household under the father. The father was considered the master, and everyone was supposed to submit to him, and he was the final word on everything. And so this is groundbreaking as Paul is giving these things, but in a different context entirely in that culture. And so we need to understand the, the effects of what's going on here. Well, wives, verse, verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And we should point out here, even at the beginning, that word submission that is so despised many times. Well, we need to understand what it means. And we need to understand, first of all, that it is much different from the word obey that comes later on for children and for bond slaves or bond servants. This word for submission in the Greek means to voluntarily place oneself under the leadership of another. And so wives, as Paul is saying this, he is expecting that you will obey the expectations of God and of Jesus Christ, and that you'll be willing to do this even as Jesus was a picture of submission in relationships with his Father. That you would be willing to do this as well. Jesus understands the frustrations of submitting to the Father's will in some regards. Not that he was frustrated with God, but the, what he had to suffer and what he had to go through, through that submission, was not easy. And Paul, and we, I even understand, even as your pastor, that as we point this out to submit to your husbands, that doesn't mean that that's going to be an easy thing to do. Jesus' path of submission ultimately ended up in the sacrifice of his own life on a cross. 
Well, thankfully, we won't have to we won't have to experience that. But it is a voluntary placement, submission to God's expectations under the authority of the husband. And let's be clear, though, husbands, even as we're saying this, that we need to have our own expectations uh, framed by Scripture as well. And that this submission does not mean forced expectations, constant reminders of one that says, remember, submit. It is voluntary for the ladies, but it is not one that we try to force on our expectations as one that is inferior to another. No, folks, these are equals, and yet even as the Trinity are equal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, equal as God, there's submission. So please don't misunderstand, and as our culture does today, that in any way God's expectation here has the idea that women are inferior to men. That's not at all in view. But God has come up with this structure to make things work together for the picture of Christ and our submission to him in the church, and there has to be an authority structure um, to make things work well within the family. And so God has um, planned and crafted the family to work in this way. Submitting to the final decisions, even as, and let's, let's again qualify this submission a little bit more. It's not as if um, Paul is saying here that the wives don't give, give, don't, aren't able, excuse me, that the wives aren't able to give input. That's not at all the picture here. Husbands should seek and desire input from their wives. And if the wives' opinions differ from the husbands, that ought to be a serious check for us as husbands. Should I really go through with this? Why is that? Well, there's more qualifications underneath this. And... Um, the, the, the struggle that we have in our culture today is the idea of placing oneself under another's authority. And modern culture chafes at this. And yet, maybe even at the same time, I think a greater tendency, maybe not be as much as um, believing ladies chafing under submission, but in our culture today with, with men, maybe younger men in particular, I think there's actually a greater tendency for husbands to willingly cede authority to the wives to avoid contentions and the responsibility. You know you want it? All right, go ahead and have it. Um, it it's, it's easier that way, and it's easier. Why fight it in our culture, women's lib, uh, feminism, all these things? We'll just we'll play the role, but I'll give you... Um, more authority than, than perhaps God had intended to make my own life easier. I think in a lot of ways, in a lot of families, there's a greater tendency for that even. And so we have to, in this, let Scripture shape and focus our thinking on what husbands and wives and how they interact with one another. Ladies, I know it's not easy to always follow through on this. Because we're certainly not perfect. And we make some 
difficult decisions sometimes. But hopefully, it's submitted to the Lord, and we at the end have to do you know what's best. And uh, the, as, as the men are praying and, and seeking God's will, as I pray that they are, there has to be a final decision that's made. But that's not an easy thing always to do. I fully understand. Well, maybe not fully understand. But I concede that it is difficult because I know how imperfect I am. And sometimes I feel for my wife as she is having to be under this expectation. But let's be clear, folks. We're all submissive to somebody. And the husband is not, as different from Greek culture, the husband is not the final say. But the husband is submissive to Jesus Christ. We all have submissive relationships in one form or fashion. And then perhaps we wouldn't cause our wives so much grief if we were more submitted to our Savior in a lot of things. And ladies, you need to pray that we as men and as husbands would continue to be more submitted to our Savior. And pray for us that we would do that. But all of us have a submissive relationship to Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned already, Jesus submitted himself to the Father. So wives, don't be appalled or frustrated when you're asked to do the same thing that Jesus had to do towards his Father anyway. We all have submissive relationships toward God. But let me give you further qualifications again to understand this word submission because at the end of that verse as is fitting to the Lord is a very important qualification and ladies you need to consider this and men we need to consider this for our wives as well that our wives have a higher authority than us and that is Jesus Christ they are to submit to us as is fitting in the Lord a higher authority than her husband is not another man well, let's make that clear as well this is not Women submitting to all men, but the, the, the expectation is a woman submitting to her own husband, not other men. But even more importantly, she does submit to another man, but he is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. She owes her first submission to him. And so what does that mean? I think in context here, folks, that the wife must weigh and reflect her husband's expectations through the filter of the expectations of Christ for her. And then we have to give way and willingness to reconsider if our wives feel like we're calling them to do something that is against what Jesus Christ has called them to do, then we are not submitting to authority. And we need to get in line. If our wives wave the red flag that they don't think that what we're doing and what we're leading they think is it goes against the expectations and the commands of God and of Jesus Christ, we ought to take that very seriously because they have a responsibility to make sure to reflect, am I being asked to submit in a way that is fitting in the Lord because Jesus is the wife's greater authority, men. And let's keep that in mind at all times. And so, yes, there is that expectation, but with scriptural 
um, qualifications in place. So ladies, I hope that is more of an encouraging thing to you. Pray for those, uh, your husbands, pray for those in authority, that they would do what is right. So another expectation, verse 19, that goes to the husband. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And if, as we really reflect on that commandment, men, as we better grasp our own responsibility in this, it will truly be humbling for us. The Lord's expectation here, and it should be, because we have the greater responsibility and it's not to lord over or to be bossy. But it is we must show the sacrificial love of Christ to our wives. And Paul doesn't give any qualifications here on this one. He says, husbands, love your wives. And that word for love is the agape, the sacrificial love of God. And so, men, that means regardless of how our wives are responding toward us. We must love them because let's be honest here. Jesus shows his love toward us and showed his sacrificial love by giving of himself to us when we were unworthy. We were fully unworthy. And men, we have the great privilege now of showing that sacrificial love to our families, to our wives. That means we have to be patient. That means very practically that we must not be harsh with them. That Greek word really has the idea of being sharp with them or explosive. Literal meaning of that Greek word is, is a sharp prick or cutting. And man, that should not be a part of our relationship with our wives. And yet, I'm just being honest with you as I say this, I'm convicted too. There have been times, even recently, where things have come up and I was trying to emphasize my concerns in a particular matter and uh, my wife was explaining some things and giving her perspective and I became harsh. I became irritated. And I realized later, <laughs> I wasn't a very good example of the love of Christ. And so, um, humbly went back and admitted that. And she admitted some things too. But men, we, we know, I, I can guarantee that sooner or later, even this week, because our wife is the closest relationship to us here on earth, and we get so familiar with them, that sooner or later, we forget about this sacrificial love that we need to show of Christ to them and we lose our tempers, and we get frustrated. So my point is, I can guarantee that even this week, maybe even today, we're going to have opportunities to repent <laughs> and to live out, to, to, to submit ourselves to Christ and say, Oh, Lord, only through your help, only through your grace can I live in this way. But I must live in this way because this is my responsibility it's hard many times, well, sometimes at least, for wives to submit. But I would submit to you that it's even harder for husbands to love like Christ. Not that our wives are hard to love, 
But loving in the way that Jesus, that God loves us and that Jesus loves the church is almost, well, it is impossible. And that's why, men, we have to be submitted to Jesus every day. Submitted to the Holy Spirit and His work so that we're not harsh with the most important person in our lives besides Jesus Christ. I don't mean your mothers either, (laughs) but your wives, that we handle that and that we are pleasing to Jesus in that way. Well, let's continue on past the marriage relationship to the relationships between children and parents and children and parents. Many times we think of children submitting to their authority, but Paul's going to point out that parents also must submit to the expectations of Christ. Children are the next address group within the family unit. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything. Obey means simply to submit in all things, and Paul makes that clear, in everything. For this pleases the Lord. And the expectation here is of obedience, without debate or question, and encompasses the whole of of their temporary life at home. This doesn't have the qualifier of little children, So in context here, it seems best to include this. As the children are dependent under the parents at home, and in our culture, that's usually until they are uh, old enough to graduate from high school and and go out and and start earning their own keep and, and going to college, things like that, that until that point that the children need to be submissive and obedient. And I understand that gets harder. We don't... We don't have a lot of children in here today, so, you know, it's a little more direct. So I, I'm not going to give any personal stories, okay? <laughs> I think we all understand that in this that there is always room for improvement. I'll give the personal stories about me today. I think I already see some looks of relief on my boys' faces. And we've already talked about this, though, the fact that it does mean that in everything, and as, as children get older, there's a tendency to want to debate, and they're thinking for themselves and saying, but I don't think, and yet God has called them to submission of authority. God in his sovereignty has chosen the parents that each of us were given. That's a very basic truth, right? But children can balk at that and say, well, I'm not so sure. God, are you sure you gave me the right ones? You've heard that joke. I'm not sure, you know, was was I truly born in this family? <laughs> or, you know, was there a switch in the hospital at birth? Children can get frustrated at times by this expectation. And yet God says in other passages of Scripture, children, oh, I'm seeing one's hiding out back there. He'll know I'm talking about him in about two minutes <laughs> as he's following the delay. God expects that while you're under your parents' authority that you will submit to that and trust Him. Trust the one that gave you those authorities. Not full trust in your parents, but full trust in Jesus who gave you those authorities that He will do what's best and work. And then children, I do not believe, when their parents ask them to do things that aren't blatantly sinful... Later on, the parents might come back and say, well, probably should have done that differently. But I don't think God holds the children accountable for those choices. He holds the parents accountable. 
And it says, this pleases the Lord. And I think there's also the expectation here for parents that they will examine all that they expect of the children and make sure that what they're expecting pleases the Lord so that the children then can follow this. There's that expectation as well. But your submission, your obedience is pleasing to God. It is a sweet aroma to Him, young people. And so we're called, you're called to do that. Well, that's hard. And Paul recognizes that that's hard. And so he has a message for the fathers, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Fathers, and I think in a general sense also parents, but back to those Greek household codes, that expectation of life at this time in the New Testament, in ancient times, Folks, the father was the absolute master of the home. All expectations uh, came from him, and none were directed toward him. You didn't question the authority. You know, there was even a time in our country, and looking back, I see some um, advertisements from, you know, the 40s and, and, and 50s, and maybe not to this extent, but there seems to be some expectations that um, everything needs to be done to please uh, the father of the home and make life comfortable for him. And that's misdirected. Everything that we do in the home, fathers included, are to, is to glorify God. Not to glorify ourselves. And so fathers, we have a responsibility not to provoke our children. In other words, the father is required. Paul is shaking up the dynamic in the household expectations of his culture because the father is also responsible to put a check on his reactions and expectations so that those subordinate to us are not dispirited or discouraged. That Greek word for discouraged can actually mean being chafed or provoked or made resentful. And then we may have right expectations for our children. And again, generically, we could say parents as well. And we may have a list of expectations that we have, <clears throat> we have patterned after God's word, and, and um, they are right to expect from our children. But when our children don't follow through on them, the tendency is to get angry, to get frustrated, to get um, irritated, and to act out on that. And Paul is a reminder that, you know, parents, fathers in particular, we can expect the right things of our kids with the wrong attitude. And that can be a discouragement to them. And it can be a hindrance to them. And so, in light of this, again, I'll put myself out there. It even there was something that happened recently where I had specifically told the boys, we're not going to do it this way. But be careful in this, and that make sure, because it's going to make a mess and different things if you do it. And I thought, we've got this under control. These guys are doing great. And uh, this was while Leslie was away. And then she came back, and I kind of wanted to see how much everything was in control. And that specific aspect, everything kind of just fell apart. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we had this situation where they didn't follow the instructions, and we had a mess and different things. And I got frustrated. 
maybe there was a little pride involved. I wanted my wife to see how in control I was of things. And I was harsh. And I realized that quickly, and so I went to my kids, um, the ones that, the strug that, that had taken part in this, and I said, that was on me. That was my fault. I shouldn't have been harsh. I got frustrated. I got angry. And I apologized for that. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And the forgiveness came quickly. And it was over. But we know this is so easy to do to get irritated with the people that are closest to us, right? Fathers, we don't want our legacy from our children to think what a miserable existence it was under my parents. We have to hold the line. We don't give in to what's right. Or we don't give in to um, holding our, our kids on doing what's right. But there's a right way and a right attitude to follow through on that. Don't make them discouraged. Well, we just have a little bit of time here to get through the rest of this. Well, we're going to verse 22. Now, this is interesting. Why would this be included in a discussion of the family unit? Well, in the broader sense, I think this could be applied this could be applied in this sense, live for the Lord under his ordained authorities. And we need to obey authorities as offered service to Jesus and not even to those authorities. Now, this is helpful that we've had this conversation about bond servants recently through our study of Philemon. And I've given you the background of what that meant within um, this culture. And so I don't have to go through all of that. But why would even bond slaves even be included in this address? Well, because these folks were considered part of the household, many times even as family. And much like as we think back and we see TV shows about indentured servants in Europe and in Britain at the end of the 19th century, how uh, those servants were really a part of the family, but they were on their own social class and scale, Right? This isn't slavery in the sense that we think of like the, uh, like the nation of Israel with the Egyptians or like with African Americans in, um, in, in the world back in the 1800s and, and even on into today in some respects. This is not that kind of slavery, but it's more the indentured servitude aspect of this. And so Paul is not promoting this arrangement because these folks had few if any rights in this culture but they were expected to obey without question rather like the children paul doesn't promote this but he does it just address the reality of its permanence in this society this is a way that the society operated and it wasn't going away anytime soon and yet he does take opportunity with this topic to elevate the discussion past these relationships with um, the masters and their bond servants within the family structure to promote and um, and emphasize the relationship of service that all of us have with Jesus Christ. He then makes this picture of the bond servant a picture of how we all should resp- respond to Jesus as supreme above all of us. Verse 22, bondservants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. 
And he calls on these people to continue their obedient service as believers now, sincerely and in a committed fashion, not to be opportunists, not to just do what they do to kind of work their way up the ladder and make the boss happy and all these things. In a secondary sense, this can be applied to um, our our relationships. It's not a, a exact parallel, but it can be applied to our relationships with our employers at work and our coworkers and all these things. And folks, we should obey out of sincere love for Christ, not merely to promote ourselves and make ourselves look better. By way of eye service, making ourselves look better to other people's eyes, being people pleasers. And this could happen even back then under these circumstances, that servants would obey or not obey based on how much it would help them. And Paul says, you should not act that way, but your service and obedience should be sincere. It should be true. Now, <clears throat> now he introduces a principle that really is paradigm shifting for this culture. And he points out at the end of that verse, fearing the Lord, verse 23 then, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And Paul proclaims now that these bondservants don't have one master that they're under, but they have two masters, an earthly and a heavenly one. And the heavenly one is more important than the earthly one. That was unheard of. No, I'm the master. I have the final say. And Paul says, no, you don't. Jesus Christ has the final say. And you both must be submitted to him. These masters that own these servants no longer had the final say, but Jesus was the primary authority that these servants and these masters answered to. And now Paul broadens out this discussion, starting in verse 22, 23, to respect, really reflect the responsibility of all the servants of God. Folks, we're all, and in, in technically, in essence, in this category, because we're all bond slaves of Jesus Christ. Paul refers to himself in that way. Paul refers to his fellow workers in that way. And so all of us need to pay careful attention. Oh, this is about that strange thing about bond slaves and stuff. That doesn't apply to me. Oh, it very much applies to us. And he says here that our motivation for all the committed service that we perform should be the Lord Jesus and not any earthly matter, masters at all. Whatever you do, work heartily, work hard, work with energy, give your full um, give your, your full energy and passion to this, but not because you have a good employer or a good master, or maybe you're not working as hard because um, you have a difficult person that you're under. That's not the motivation, but it's, it's for the Lord because the Lord Jesus is our master. And therefore, we work for him. We're ultimately employed by him to be the right testimony then. That's a whole lot better motivation, is it not, folks, than the earthly masters, the earthly employers, those over us that we have today, because those people can be frustrating. Even the best employer, and at this time, the best master, were imperfect, and those things come out, and it gets frustrating to work underneath uh, people that we don't respect many times. But when we remember that we're working for Jesus Christ, we can do the job and we can act in the way that we should be because we have proper motivation. 
And here it is, not just a paycheck, verse 24, but knowing that you, that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Here's another groundbreaking truth at this time. Servants are going to receive an inheritance. That was unheard of at this time, unless the master decided to adopt the servant and make him his child. Uh, the servants never received any part of the inheritance. Folks, here's the beauty for the bond slaves in Christ. We have a wonderful eternal inheritance that we will enjoy. New bodies, life with Christ. The servants of God will receive eternal benefits. And so in reality, Jesus is the believer's true master and Lord. And all the service they perform is really for him. And that's what he says at the end of verse 24. You are serving the Lord Christ. Keep that in mind. You bond servants as you serve your masters, that there is a greater master. And then he points out for everyone, not just for the bond slave, but for everyone, for the wrongdoer, I'm sorry, verse 25, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Those that are disobedient, whose allegiance is not fully given over to Christ, or refuse, I think this also goes back to those lists of things that we're supposed to clothe ourselves in. Gentleness, love, meekness, patience. For those that refuse to operate under that list of expectations but reject that, those folks will receive the wages due to them, the wages of their sin. I think in context here we're talking about God's people, so God will have to deal and correct them if they will not follow his ways. And God does not play favorites. There's no partiality. So don't you think, well, I'm a really I'm a better servant of God than that person over there, or I'm I'm more well known and you know I'm the pastor and they're just you know so and so and so of course God's gonna you know give me a little bit more of a break. Cut me some slack. Paul says there's no partiality. He doesn't play favorites. So be willing to submit to him, all of you, including you believing masters. And here's another shocking expectation. The master of the house also has a responsibility towards his servants. That was unheard of at this time. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And he finishes up these household rules by pointing out to the master that they couldn't just lord over, as a believers, they couldn't lord over their expectations of everybody else in the house. But Jesus had expectations for him as well. And that means that those under him, including his bondservants, must be dealt with in a fair and just manner. They must have access to justice. And fairness of treatment could be perhaps even hinting at equality here. Where Paul is saying, do you really, should you really continue in this societal norm where you have these people that are considered less of a person than other people with your new relationship with Christ? Even as I think Paul, in one sense, was asking um, Philemon to consider this with Onesimus, his former slave. Paul may very well be saying here, all people are equal in Christ. And you masters remember that. And be fair and careful and loving with those under you. Well, how is pay, 
uh, Paul able to demand this of, of us as the masters? Because these Christian masters, as the end there, knowing that you also have a master in heaven, these are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. All believers have equal status and favor with the Lord. And so, husbands, you remember that. Masters, today employers in application, leaders in the church, we all need to remember this that we're all supposed to be submissive to Jesus Christ and that all are equal. Even in our, our roles that God has given to us, there must be care and love and fairness and compassion and concern for each other. How do we do all this? Well, we need to fully understand Jesus' worthiness and superiority over all creation. And once we do, that affects even our practical actions and interactions with others, especially those that are closest to us. Folks, if we adopt the right perspective that all we do is not for our own glory or importance or for the glory of others, but it's all for the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ, then we can easily perform and uh, do well in these roles that God has called us to. All people are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to remember that. And that will motivate us. And it will transform our family and our marriage and our work relationships to be pleasing to God in all things. Father, thank you for these good reminders of our relationships with the people that we're with literally every day. It's frustrating. These things that you expect from us in these roles can be frustrating. It can be frustrating for wives in this area of submission. It can be frustrating for fathers who have expectations um, of th a certain way things will be done and then they don't happen. It can be frustrating for children who question whether what they're being asked to do by their parents is best for them. But help us all to remember in the midst of our chafing and frustration that we are all submissive to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that he will enable us to do well in all of these relationships. And that he has ordained the people in our lives for a purpose, to make us more like him. Again, Father, for those that don't know Christ, may they today turn to him in faith that they can understand um, the power and access to power that they have in the work of the Spirit that can help them truly follow after these expectations. They can have families that are filled with peace and harmony and unity as we submit ourselves to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we pray for that. And we pray that all that we would do in our family life and in our work life and everything else would be done for the glory of Jesus Christ. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.